this episode of The Interface, I speak with Harsh Patel, Senior Field Application Engineer for the Amphenol Communications Solutions Division with a focus on the automotive industry. We talk about his name, Harsh, and how it means joyful in his native language. We talk about his excitement working in the automotive industry, especially with so many new products coming to market. We talk about the pros and cons of the many standards in the emerging submarkets, but knowing we have the portfolio to match any need. We talk about being born in India, moving to Canada as a young boy, and spending a lot of time with his friends programming Raspberry Pis. We talk about his love of running marathons, the improvements he's made, and his goal of a sub-three-hour finish. And we discuss his Desert Island album, book, and movie. This is The Interface. <laughs> no, 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 all good, yep. Same pronunciation as the English word, yeah. Okay. It means to- something totally different, but you- you'll probably uh, we'll get to it, maybe. <laughs> so what does the name Harsh mean? It's uh, It means in my language, which is Gujarati, that's my mother tongue, and it means uh, joyful or happiness. Really? And, and Yeah, and it's probably uh, a very, you-, you can see I'm a very happy guy, joyful guy, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's what it means. Yeah, it's that <laughs> is that's wild because you I know, know you know the English meaning, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it <laughs> couldn't be further from that. I know, further apart. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's well, hilarious. Oh, harsh! Thank you very much for for doing this today. I really appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. And we'll we'll start off by just telling us a little bit, if you could, about your role for the uh, Amphenol Communications Solutions Division. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I wear a couple of different hats. Um, So as a senior uh, FAE, right, um, I primarily focus on supporting the technical side of the customer interactions, right? So Mm -hmm. especially with the big three here being in Detroit, uh, it's the, you know, Stellantis, GM, Ford, but then also any of the tiers as well, Um, you know, given the opportunity size, I get involved. And um, so that's kind of the one hat I wear. And then the other side is, uh, you know, standards work. So there's a lot of uh, standards bodies out there for the automotive protocol, signal protocol. So IEEE Automotive Ethernet is Mm -hmm. one big one. Um, Then there's Open Alliance that does further work on the Ethernet specs. Um, There's a few others that I got involved in, but I'm, I'm at a high level. But so, yeah, that's kind of the other hat I wear. And then there's also the, you know, VOC side of things. So VOC is voice of the customer. Right. So trying to find ways to, you know, uh, expand on our portfolio, right? Pretty much. So that's another interaction that I have with the design team and, and the marketing team and, you know, all the other cross-functional teams within uh, within our group. Yeah. Let me just ask you a little bit about, you know, because you work closely with customers often and you have uh, an engineering background, I believe, electrical engineering. Um, yep. So working with the automotive industry uh, with all these different types of things, just off the top of the head, uh, top of your head, a few of the products that you often get to promote, especially some of the new ones that you're really excited about for the group. A lot of the um, you know products we're supporting probably you know aims at a variety of the um, you know applications such as infotainment. You got BMS, which is battery management systems, and ADAS, and everywhere across the vehicle. But um, the products, if you were to ask me, you know the uh, high speed products that we're looking at today. Um, it ranges from, you know, traditional HSD, which is a high-speed, uh, you know, differential data type of solution. But now it's slowly getting faster and faster in terms of data rates, right? So mm-hmm. we're starting to look at other products, um, you know, such as VNet is coming up a lot, right? So VNet is uh, going to be our go-to product for automotive Ethernet, multi-gig. 
and um, so on and, and you know beyond like the thirties as well, right? We can use that as well as we have other products like Microspace, right? Which is widely used in automotive for a variety of applications, but mainly lighting and um, uh, BMS. What would be a, a critical and uh, you know application that it targets and um, really really nice and you know in automotive there's a couple of standards bodies that we have to test to right so US car two compliant that means a lot of testing and everything involved and especially making sure that it meets all the requirements in US car two but yeah so those are some of the uh, main products I think that we're you know focusing on and this is just touching on a few right but there's a, a lot of other uh, applications and products as well. You work in an industry that is certainly fascinating to a lot of people and not just from a fringe standpoint. I mean, everybody is interested in the automotive industry and these new cars and this new technologies that goes into them and electric vehicles and infotainment and all that. It must be really fascinating, number one. And number two, uh, you know, and so if you want to talk about that and two, what are the bits of it that you really get excited about? Like what are the little niche um, items in these newer vehicles and vehicle systems that you're like, oh yeah, I can't wait to to work with some customers on this. So the, the first part you mentioned, right? It, it definitely is absolutely fascinating and interesting, right? And, and the part that really is interesting is the every day is something new, right? Like you, you, because of the pace that we're, you know, um, going in automotive, it's, very different and unique and there's no certainty, right? Um, there's no one way of doing it, right? So mm -hmm. you hear from one customer, you're talking about the same application and their requirements are completely different from someone else, right? So that that is amazing, right? You get to learn a lot that way. And just like in uh, math, right? There's no one way of doing something. So it, it's like so that, you know, I love math, by the way. So, you know, math uh, was my favorite subject and here, it's also, you know, interesting to see that there's a variety of ways of, you know, doing the same thing, right? So that part is really awesome. And what's really interesting in automotive is right now, the goal is the same for, for almost every automaker out there, right? EV vehicles and autonomy, right? So how we are getting there is, again, we're choosing different paths, right? Even in standards bodies there's no clear winner, right? What's going to take over in terms of, you know, this is the way to do it. And everyone agrees. Everyone is slightly agreeing on different things. And that's why there's so many standards out there, right? Competing and sometimes in parallel activities. So that that part is really interesting because even if you ask me or any, any other expert out there, they can't give you a clear answer of, okay, which one's going to win, you know? Everyone kind of agrees on automotive ethernet being the backbone and, and the, you know, network in the vehicle in the long term, but in the short term, how we get there is again, everyone has their different, you know, paces and, and strategies, right? So that, that part is really interesting. But um, again, I think what we're targeting as an end goal is amazing, right? Um, and that that's really fascinating. And just hearing about uh, all the different applications, the features that are coming into vehicles today, it's absolutely stunning, right? So what are some of the pros and cons for you as far as the lack of standardizations or the many standards that you get to deal with. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's it's both, right? Sometimes you really, yep. as a company, like it uh, because then you're, you're kind of bound by nothing. But at the same time, it also, I'm assuming for, especially for an engineer, can be frustrating because you, you know, every time you change one little thing, it drastically changes the entire product, right? You got it right on the head. So um, basically, yeah, it's good and bad, right? The good part is that um, together as a, um, you know, standards work basically involves many, many players, right? People like us, connector, cable guys, 
the five the chip guys, right? The OEMs are there and everyone gets to put their voice or input in, right? And create a standard. So that, that's amazing, right? I mean, all the people that are going to be involved in using the spec get to put their voice in. Perfect, right? But at the same time, we're also limited by just how much we have to test. If there's multiple standards out there and every time something happens, something changes, we have to go back to our engineering group and get things tested, right? Mm -hmm. And having many, many standards means a lot of different tests groups that we have to make or gap analysis and, you know, fill the gaps between what we have tested and what's coming, you know, as a requirement, right, from the customer. So, so yeah, there are challenges on that side. But again, I think it's a, it's a balance of the, you know, both, I think, <laughs> good and bad. You talked a little bit earlier, too, about being involved heavily with voice of customer uh, and speaking to, you know, these big players on on their needs and probably some future needs, right? So what are, you don't have to necessarily give us the details um, and give anything away too much, but how excited are you about some of the things that you're hearing about coming up in the future? Uh, obviously opportunities for Amphenol, but just in general in the market, uh, as far as uh, just advancements in the technology for uh, automotives. I'm very excited. The things that we're hearing today, you know, the things that the OEMs are working on, it's very exciting and very different from traditionally what we've worked on in automotive in the last five, 10 years, right? So yeah. I think we're taking a huge jump. And just to give you a perspective, like, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago, we were saying high speed as like USB 2.0, which is like 480 megabits per second. Yeah. And now we're talking, you know, we're working on 25 gig, 50 gig, 100 gigs and automotive Ethernet, right? So it's just unheard of. And, and the, the it's like an exponential growth that we're seeing, right, in the vehicle today. And I think that's just fascinating, right? How we're going to deal with it, the challenges that come. So similar to Datacom, you know, mm -hmm. we already did it in Datacom, but now the environment is a little bit different, right? We're talking the same type of speeds but the environment is going to be a vehicle. It needs to meet the uh, robustness of, you know, vibration, thermal aging, and all, all sorts of environment conditioning, right? So on top of that, which just adds to the challenge, and I guess all the engineers would be up for it, right? So they're excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you really play in an exciting market, and it's something that all of us can identify with other than, you know, unlike some of the other industries that we play in, um, there's nothing against them, but not everyone is in the military. Uh, not everyone is in, you know, heavy equipment and all that, but everyone uses cars and vehicles. And yep. so you get to touch and see and be at the leading edge of technologies, uh, not only now, but in the future that in essence, you know, that every one of us here in Amphenol and elsewhere is going to be able to, to play. And that's pretty cool. Yep, absolutely. I would agree. All right. So let's go backwards then. Let's go to when you were a little harsh. <laughs> Come on. I had to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had to. I had to do a little play on words here. Um, yep. So uh, just tell me where you grew up, where you were raised, uh, what you like to do as a, as a young kid. So I was uh, born in India. Uh, in Gujarat, which is the central west. And okay. um, I was there about seven, eight years of my life early, early on. And then my family actually immigrated to Canada. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was in Toronto for about seven years. And then we moved to Niagara Falls, where my parents are still there. Yeah, I actually studied in uh, McMaster University, which is in Hamilton. So about an hour away from uh, Niagara Falls. 
Yeah, what I liked to do as a kid, I was a very uh, outdoorsy person. So uh, a mixture of both, right? I like, you know, the game gaming and whatnot, but I also was uh, a lot outdoors, biking and and um, just enjoying nature pretty much, right? And I still do that. Yeah. But um, yeah, so, uh, and then later in my maybe teens, I did get a huge interest in electronics. So just tinkering around with... Um, Raspberry Pis and, and, you know, making my own media hub type thing, like Netflix type of dashboard, but like, you know, on, on a Raspberry Pi. So, mm-hmm. so things like that, that I, you know, uh, got to explore and then learn a lot of electronics. And I, that's where the interest sparked and my career, you know, basically education was yeah. kind of, yeah, dr- driven from there. Right. So let me go back. You had talked about yeah. gaming, which I find quite often, especially in people yeah. that are probably under 40 or under, right? I mean, everyone grew <laughs> yeah. up with a game system. Uh, in their yep. house what were you what are you into just out of curiosity yeah so my favorite of all time would have to be uh, nintendo 64 okay literally that, that was the age where i was at peak right i played yeah. a lot a lot of games and um like just mario mario kart and yep. you know mario 64 all that kind of stuff golden eye and um yeah, Goldeneye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goldeneye. One that was a great, great one. Ever. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah, like all these were, um, you know, games that I played and really, really enjoyed. And that was the peak of it. And then I would say I got into other things. So slowly the gaming portion went, you know, down and down. Yeah. And I picked up other things along the way and, and probably for the best because, yeah, I ended up <laughs> in a good, good, good spot, I think. And uh, yeah. And now I have other hobbies. Yeah. Yeah. And then you talked about Raspberry Pis. The, the computer device, not the yep. uh, not the food, not the delicious. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I always kind of have to catch myself whenever I hear that too. But that's because I'm not the technical guy, as I've said a million times on here. But how did you get involved in in just tinkering with those types of uh, electronic projects when you were young? Was it just that a curiosity, or were other friends doing it, or how, how did that come about? Because I'm sure it ultimately led to what you studied. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, pretty much came from being a little bit frugal, right? So ordering mm. raspberry pies in bulk, you know, yeah. uh, was the cheapest way to get them because you didn't want to pay shipping. So a bunch of the, you know, high school friends got together and said, hey, are you interested? I want to, you know, make a group order. And I said, oh, what is it? Right. And then I kind of learned more about it. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Right. Count me in. Right. So that's how I kind of got into it. Just ordered one to, you know, mess around with it and then started getting all these accessories like remote control and whatnot to, to you know, start to, uh make different things right and and um yeah and then grow in my capabilities and it was awesome right so i got to basically learn a little bit of programming hardware at an early age and it was it was really good how would you describe that a raspberry pi is what basically a computer right yeah yeah pretty much a computer yeah it has the processing power you can add sensors to it right, right. depending on what you want to do you pretty much have to get the accessories and then yeah you build the hardware around it and then you program it right to do it make it do a certain thing when this is detected, do this, right? Or whatever. So, yeah. Was that school supported too? Or is it just strictly your friends just where? Yeah, just on the side. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just, just on the side. And yeah, friends got together and yeah, started doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you and I had different friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we were playing. Yeah, I was, you know, we were knuckleheads, you know, running around playing, uh, you know, beating each other up. We did that too. We yeah, did that yeah, too. Okay. But yeah, well, it, was, uh, it was a good balance. Yep. <laughs> okay. So you said you went to McMaster, right? And a mm-hmm. uh, Bachelor of Engineering there. So electrical engineering. Yep. Why electrical engineering? Just yeah, a continu- so electrical- continuation of this or? Yeah, it was it was a continuation of that. And honestly, I actually enjoyed the software, like programming and whatnot. And um, just looking at, you know, all the different fields and all the careers you can make out of it, right? 
what fascinated me about electrical, it was a good balance of hardware and, you know, software too, right? Mm, so mm-hmm. um, I got to look at the courses and I'm like, okay, this is a nice balance that I want to, you know, touch on and uh, basically grow and then I'll get to pick, right? Career-wise where I want to end up. But um, yeah, I wanted that flexibility in, in picking my career, right? So I wanted something at a high level to touch on everything. And that was electrical when I, when I started looking into it. So that, that's what kind of uh, gave me that drive to you know pursue that. When you started, did you know what industry you would be in for electrical engineering or, th- or that you wanted to be in? Was it gaming? Was it something else? Or or did you have an open mind and go, I don't know, I'm just going to see what happens with this and, and whatever piques my interest as I'm in school, I'll just go with that. You got it right. I did not actually have a specific industry in mind. I liked a lot of things like, for example, consumer electronics, right? Mm-hmm. I always wanted to basically play in a market where, you know, if you tell someone like, this is what I work on, they would get it, right? Like, oh, I work on a cell phone or car, yeah. right? Obviously, yeah. everyone gets it. Yeah, that was kind of the, you know, uh, main main goal there. But yeah, really no industry that I had focused on, right? It was just, yeah, let me do this and then see what the next, you know, thing it's like hurdle after hurdle, right? Let me finish this and then I'll, I'll see, right? What, what's coming next? But you got into the connector industry. Is it a little bit harder to explain that to people then? <laughs> to say, it is. Well, it I is, don't make definitely. the phone or the gaming system, but I make all the connectors that are in there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. It's com- common man. And uh, yeah, my friends, it's very hard to explain what we do and signal integrity again. It's like black magic for them, right? So I'm explaining through, um, you know, whenever I had to teach someone, it's like through pipe analogies, basically water flowing through a pipe. And that's what I use generally. And they get it. Oh, okay, cool. (laughs) From your standpoint, just give us a little, you know, your one to two minutes on signal integrity engineering and the importance of it when it comes to interconnect design. I'm just going to step back a little bit, right? Where I got into SI was my first job. I, um, you know, was in the applications engineering group and that's where I got firsthand experience with the, you know, SI equipment, right? Mm -hmm. And I was completely uh, fascinated by that. And um, the SI portion really uh, fascinates me because again, it's hard to explain, but you know, you can't really see anything, right? It's all conceptual in that sense, right? But what you're doing is very important, right? In the application world, right? When you actually put it into, right? It's it's very critical. And yeah, just just simply in my eyes, right? From point A to B, we gotta, you know, we have a channel, right? A medium. So in this case, a connector cable, and we need to make sure that, you know, obviously there's gonna be normal degradation in the signal because it's going through a channel, but our goal is to get, you know, on the output side, the best signal that we can and to meet whatever the requirements are right for that mm-hmm. channel so um and, and that, that's the you know simplest explanation but um what's fascinating is in automotive again i, I brought up the talk, topic about um, just the different challenges that we have in automotive right and that's what makes si even more challenging right and in, in uh, the automotive world there's obviously the si challenges as we continuously increase the you know data rates that we're talking about. But mm-hmm. then on top of that, we have the environmental conditioning to worry about, right? right, right. And you're going to have harnesses that are with, you know, five, six, seven, eight, ten cables that, you know, together, bundle together. And that means there's a lot of crosstalk and things like that to worry about. So, so yeah, just the additional challenges in automotive specifically, I, I think is really interesting and keeps us uh, engaged. Yeah. yeah. So I was, again, looking through your, your profile a little bit here and talked about working in a, in a lab setting. Uh, so explain what a BERT is. Yeah. So BERT um, <laughs> like was name. a really, yeah, yeah. yeah. BERT was a really nice equipment. So we actually used it to generate um, like PRBS, you know, signals 
and be able to view the output as well on the same equipment. Usually we have two different equipments. So BERT is more expensive and, and contained in one unit, right? You can generate and have a cleaner setup. And um, the type of testing that I did there was interoperability testing. So yeah, you would have, um, you know, a different generation equalizer and, you know, cable uh, redriver and put them together and test, you know, pretty much all these different cases. And that's the type of testing, but yeah, that's in uh, simple terms. BERT was just one one unit that signal was generated and output was uh, observed. Okay, I just yeah, I, I, I like the name for some reason. I saw yep. put it uh, BERT scope. <laughs> Let me ask what BERTs are. BERT scope. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I know you worked in the connector industry before you came to Amphenol, but how did you find Amphenol then? Yeah, I had actually a couple of uh, friends that were working at Amphenol and um, one of them approached me about this opportunity in Detroit and he said, hey, you're there, like, you know, if you're interested. I'm actually currently doing my executive MBA right now. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for more of a role that's customer facing. So it ended up being, you know, a perfect fit. And that's how I ended up here. Yeah. Yeah. And it's only been, well, since uh, late last year. Eight, nine months. Yeah. 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 So how's your time been so far with Amphenol with ACS and the team? Yeah, it's been amazing. Um, the ramp up has been very, very um, easy, I would say, because, you know, the, the products are different, but the terminology remains the same. The SI remains the same. Right. The industry remains the same, right? So th there's a lot of like knowns parameter wise. I didn't have a lot of unknowns. So it was kind of easy to ramp up and um, the people are absolutely phenomenal uh, and, and the team is great. So that that helps as well. Right. So, uh, yeah, ramping up was very smooth and uh, I'm really enjoying the work. Yeah. And you're in the Detroit area, right? Detroit area. That's correct. Yeah. Nice and central for the automotive industry. It's perfect. Absolutely. Prime, <laughs> prime area <laughs> to be in. Yep. So that segues nicely then. So what do you like to absolutely. do in your free time? So you already got two out of the three things. And the third one is running. For okay. me, I, I'm a, people that know me will know that I run a lot and um, I'm very competitive in running. So uh, a lot of my other time that's left over is running. So uh, just to give you a perspective, um, I, I run marathons and I train pretty hard for them. So the last one I just had actually last weekend in Glass City, uh, Toledo, Ohio. Mm. And that marathon I've trained pr pretty hard for. Uh, pretty much my weekly mileage was about 100 miles a week. Wow. And yeah, so just, just in the four months, I, I raked up about 1,500 miles of, of running just wow. you know, in the four months from January. Yeah. So, so what was your time last weekend in Toledo? I It was 3.04.57. And I, I actually was trying to get under sub uh, three. Sub three, yeah. That's yeah. to qualify for Boston. And I missed out on it because of the weather. We had, surprisingly, it was like cold and stuff. And then all of a sudden for that weekend, we had 80 degree weather and windy. So yeah. it, it was really tough conditions and I'll take it. I still made a PR of 15 minutes from my previous marathon. So yeah, th this just means, you know, back to square one. And for the fall marathon, I'm going to try again. So <laughs> it's just a continuous uh, amount of work though. Yeah. Very commendable. And I, I yep. know how <laughs> difficult that is. I've never run a marathon before. I've run a half marathon. You can't really tell right now. <laughs> a little winter weight on me here. I got to get rid of harsh, you know And what I mean? COVID too, right? Yeah, yep. oh, sure, we'll use that as an excuse too. Yeah, I'll take it. Yep. I'll take excuses yep. where I can get them. Um, but I, I know how difficult that can be. And I, I have no concept of, of doing an actual marathon. You know, training for a half was tough enough and I didn't even do it right. So and I paid for it as a result. But why Why do you enjoy doing that? I mean, saying you have a screw loose is not exactly uh, saying it correctly. <laughs> no, absolutely. You know what yeah, I mean. But, often, but you really yeah. have to 
you have to be yeah. in or not. I mean, there's no in between with a marathon because you can't just show up the day of the race yeah. and think no. you're going to run 26.2 miles and just no kind of wing it. You cannot do that. Uh, yep. Even the most yep. seasoned runners in the world don't do it that way. So why? Yeah. Why do that? My first one that I ran was in 2018 Chicago Marathon. I literally did that just to, you know, kind of as like a team thing. Everyone is doing it. I was like, okay, I'll sign up. Okay, now what does this mean, right? And they're like, hey, you're going to have to train 16 to 18 weeks. And I'm like, oh, crap. What did I sign up for, right? But, <laughs> yeah. But, but then I said, okay, yeah, that sounds good. And then I went through with it. And the amount of pain that I had in that marathon, it was the first time me running this type of distance or training. And yeah. uh, obviously, it doesn't go that smooth, right? So even yeah. while I did the training correctly, just the marathon, the pain I had, I said, I'm never going to do a marathon again. Right. And I'll do a half marathon. That's a fun distance, right? But no, no full marathons. And one year went by. And then just in the COVID period, 2020, I said, you know what? I have a lot of time. I'm going to sign up for a marathon again. And I want to redo it. I want to see how it goes. And then that's the time I really um, got to deep dive into the science behind it. And, mm. and I got everything, but you know, I read a lot of books. And then I actually ended up being very successful in that. I shaved off an hour and three minutes from my previous PR. And uh, and then that's where, like, I, you know, the interest again sparked. Or I don't know what happened. I got the running bug, they call it, right? Mm -hmm. But I just, I just love the aspect of improvement, right? Constant improvement. You apply a new strategy, new training plans, right? You change something. You correct something. And you obviously have to, you know, be very uh, diligent and, and, you know, follow the training plan. But again, I kept seeing the improvements. And, I, and just to share my times, I was at 441 for Chicago. Then I got 337 for the virtual one I did. Mm -hmm. Then Detroit Marathon last year, I got 319. And then mm -hmm. this was 304 or th 304. Yeah. So j j you can see, right, like the yeah. constant improvement I've been seeing. It's just amazing. And and yeah, that, that, that's what kind of gets me going, right? If I put in the work and... If I'm very disciplined into making it happen in terms of, you know, this is what I got to do every day, wake up and do this. And if I do it, I see the output. I love that. And same same thing with work too, right? Sure, yeah. sure. So give me, if you could, like something specific that you learned during your research for all these that you applied to your running technique that showed tangible improvement. Can you give me something yeah, absolutely. like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, Just asking one for of a them friend, was... Harsh. Just asking. Yeah. For <laughs> yeah. yeah. Form, form is a big one. So okay. my, my form of actual running was, yeah. um, you know, not, not ideal. So let's just put it this way, right? Every time I take a step, it was as if, if I was breaking and accelerating at the same time. So it's not efficient, right? Mm. So the form changes a lot of things and um, it's not easy to change form. It took, it took a long time, but I did a lot of treadmill running on an incline that's an easy way to get your form corrected because on an incline, it's hard to go uh, heel first, right? You obviously have to go toe first and that's the, the foot first. Exactly. Right, yep. Right. Yep. And that's what the good way of running form is, right? So yeah, I, I took a lot of those suggestions and started training myself and correcting that form. And now that I have that form corrected, I do see an improvement, right? Mm. Um, and then things like, you know, just having not one shoe, but like several shoes in rotation, right? So you might have a speed shoe, you might have a trail shoe and a treadmill shoe, right? And that actually helps just with basically keeping mileage and, and, you know, you're controlling the mileage that you put on a shoe. And obviously, depending on how much you run, you do want to let like a 24-hour time period pass by, right, on, on a shoe just to get its, uh, you know, soul to be all, all relaxed again. So all, all little stuff, but it, it actually, you know, matters, right? And, and uh, injuries. So, uh, you know, I... Don't generally have injuries, finger, fingers crossed and uh, knock on wood, but 
Um, that, that's another thing, right? How you train uh, plenty of rest, even though I run every single day, I actually get enough rest by the easy runs. And I am very disciplined at keeping them easy and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going out there and just doing your best every single time. That's right. not the goal, right? Right. So, so yeah, little things like that, actually, that I learned along the way, and it really helped. That's great. Yeah, I mean, that's really yeah. impressive. Uh, you should yeah. be proud of, of that. And it sounds like you're on track to be under three hours the next one. This year. I, yeah, I, this I'm, year. I'm, I'm really I'm hoping. sure you're ready. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. yeah. That's great. That's really great. Uh, and I, I genuinely mean that from... Thank you. Know, you. Uh, from someone who wishes he could run like that, <laughs> uh, it's very impressive. So, so we'll wrap up on this then. If I then put you harsh on a desert island by yourself, you could bring some running shoes, whichever shoes work best on sand. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you want to go yeah. with bare feet. I don't know. I'll leave that up to you. You're you're the expert, not me. Uh, give you some time off, and I say, in addition to the, whatever shoes you want to bring with you, running shoes. You get to bring one album, one book, one movie. We'll start with an album. What album would you bring with you? Yeah, sounds good. So I do listen to a lot of um, just any music that I can understand. That that's my thing, right? And Bollywood music. So I listen to a lot of Hindi music. Oh yeah. Okay. But um, but if I was to pick uh, an album to take with me, it'd have to be like classic uh, piano instrumental music, just a compilation of, you know, the best hits or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and two reasons, right? I listen to piano music uh, actually to just, it's like a stress reliever, just, yeah. just, you know, zone out. And it actually helps me concentrate. So without any lyrics, I love it when I'm like studying or working. I, I like it on the side. So yeah, I think I think I would pick something like that for the album. Any particular piece or... Or, Nothing or, at or all. I, honestly, any no. piano music. Yeah, any piano music. Classic one I, I usually like. So Beethoven and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's really good. But uh, honestly, anything. Yeah. A quick aside then in this. Do you listen to music when you run? I don't. I actually connect with nature. So I, I used to in the beginning, but now I'm out there for two, three hours, whatever. And I'm just no no headset or anything. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. If I'm in the gym, I do like to listen to podcasts. Yeah. Like this one, maybe? <laughs> Like this one, yeah, there you go, yeah. Yes, we got one. (laughs) Uh, All right, how about a book? I actually have uh, this one book, and it's called Inner Engineering, uh, Yogi's Guide to uh, Joy, and it's by Sadhguru. He's someone I uh, follow, and I treat him like my guru, and um, he's very good. So the book, how I can explain it is... um, It's basically a true key to happiness, and joy lies within yourself. So he's mm-hmm. trying to find ways, you know, that you can basically through yoga and through just knowing yourself Yeah. and how do you battle on everyday basis, right? Whatever comes your way. So, so it's really cool. Um, and, and that's the book I would pick. Yeah. Okay. No, I like it. That's great. And yeah. how about finally a movie? What movie would you bring? So I, I'm a big uh, movie person. I watch both Hollywood and Bollywood. Mm-hmm. And I would say there's a long list of items, but um, I it can probably for the one for this question, I'm going to pick The Pursuit of Happiness by uh, Will Smith, isn't it? Right. Yeah. I really like that movie. But again, if I had to take something and if I'm alone there in the island, I also am very close to my family. So yeah. I take a lot of videos and pictures. I would probably take a compilation of all the things that I can, you know, get together that family I recorded film. myself yeah. as, as memories and could take that with me. Yeah. All right. That's yeah. the better answer. All right. You, can, <laughs> yeah. you convinced me on that one. Okay. Yeah. Your family videos might not work for me, but they would work for <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. Your, yours. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yep, well, listen. Sure. Harsh, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you doing this. And um, I love the, the, the meaning of your name, 
and how it's so radically different <laughs> from the you know the American English version uh, of what people yep. would think of as harsh. Uh, and as far as the English version, you were anything but. You were a pleasure to talk to. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Chris. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you.